growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If we can't know when the end will come, but we're supposed to be ready when the end comes, what are we supposed to do? Have you ever heard that something was going to happen, but you weren't sure when? Take, for instance, a tornado warning. If you've ever been in an area where one was issued, did you do anything differently? Or did you just go about your day without any thought of the storm hitting? Jesus also gives multiple signs there in Matthew chapter 24. And he says, these are things that you can at least look at that point to the fact that I'm getting ready to come back, that this thing is getting closer. You can look at that and begin to see those things. And anybody that looks around today and doesn't see some of that beginning to happen is simply ignoring the warnings. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Pastor Clay has been taking us through Jesus' teaching regarding the end times found in Matthew chapters 24 and 25 in the series entitled 2012, The Days After Tomorrow. Last week we saw in Jesus' teaching that no one knows the exact time of the return of Jesus. But as Pastor Clay pointed out in last week's message, Not knowing when is no excuse for not being ready now that won't fly. Well, today we're going to hear Pastor Clay explain more about how we can be ready for the end times, even though we don't know when it will be. These are certainly strange days that we live in, and many of the signs Jesus gives about the last days look a lot like the days we're living in today. How can we be ready? What should we be doing? These are some of the questions you'll hear Pastor Clay address today. Thanks for joining us. Now this week's Crosswalk. Matthew chapter 24, we're working our way through the Olivet Discourse. And in chapter 24, verse 36, we pick it up. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and one will be left. Last week, if you happen to be with us, we took a look at this part of Matthew chapter 24. We took a look at this, really what is the last sign that Jesus gives about his return. He's still not finished. Matthew chapter 24 goes on, we'll finish it up today, and then Matthew chapter 25, he's still got some things to say, but throughout the early parts of Matthew chapter 24, he's been given some indicators, he's been giving some signs. These are some things that you can look for that will kind of point towards uh, the, the end times and point towards my return. This is sort of the last indicator that he gives. And Jesus uh, makes a comparison between how it was in the days of Noah, and how it will be in the end days. And we looked at that passage last week, along with some other passages of Scripture in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And if you were here, 
you may remember that, that I pointed out three aspects of, of the way it was in Noah's day and the way Jesus says that it will be in the end times. And you can make this comparison between uh, the two. And the three aspects or the three uh, uh, areas that we point to look like this. And we talked about this last week. That there was in Noah's day and there will be in the last days rebellion against God. And not only rebellion against God, there will also be ridicule against God's uh, people and against God's message. That people would, they, they mocked it then, they made fun of it then, and they will do so in the end times. In the last uh, thing we said that there would be rejection of God's salvation. Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the, in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And we, we drew these three conclusions. There's rebellion, there was ridicule, and there's rejection. Jesus then went on to explain what the problem was for the people in Noah's day. He, he, he began to explain to us, all right, here's why they reject it, that there's ridicule, there's rebellion. Here's why. And there were two things, and we covered these last week. He said that they were too involved in their own lives. He said they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Not that any of those things are, are wrong in themselves or bad, but that that was the focal point of their life. That was what they were interested in, and they didn't have time for the things of God or the, or the people of God or the message of God, and they were just too involved in their own lives. God has created us for so much more, ladies and gentlemen, than just getting through. God has created us for so much more than just rushing from one event in our life to another event in our life. God has created us for an active, exciting, fulfilling, fun, meaningful, purposeful, satisfying, vibrant relationship with Him. So much more than, than what we seem to think about in life. And if you were here last week, you may recall that I gave you my latest, one of my favorite statement, statements. One of my favorite saying statements. I have a bunch of those. If you were here, remember I gave you my latest one. And it is this. When living becomes the focus of our life, our life is out of focus. When it becomes all about just living, just getting by, just trying to hurry up and get this done or do that or go here or go there, we may be missing the very purpose for which we were. As a matter of fact, I would say we almost certainly are missing the very purpose for which we are created. When living becomes the focus of our life, our life is out of focus. They were too involved in their own lives. Jesus also pointed out that they ignored the warnings. For 120 years, Noah's building this giant boat out in the backyard. Uh, you know, backyard, I don't know. But he's out, he's, for 120 years, he's out there building this giant boat. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And that boat, as it was constructed, became, truly it became a monument of the, of the righteousness and the judgment of God. And it became a monument to the hardness of their hearts. Because you may also remember that I said last week in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, I think it is, uh, Peter refers to Noah as a preacher of righteousness, which indicates that Noah, both through his actions and through his word, for 120 years stood there and proclaimed to the people, God is a loving God, God is a patient God, God is a long-suffering God. 
But God is a God of judgment against sin. And God's judgment will come. And they ignored it. They ignored the warnings. And Jesus says, if we look at the days of Noah, see what was going on there, see how they acted, then we can look at the end days because it's going to be very similar. And I drew this conclusion last week as a result of that. I said, when we look at the days of Noah and what Jesus says will look like in the days end, here's what we can say. That the days of Noah and the end days look a lot like our day. They really do. Now, Jesus made it abundantly clear. Nobody knows for sure when these events will take place that, that actually will be his second coming. He, he makes it abundantly clear. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. There's no way that we can know this for sure. But Jesus also gives multiple signs there in Matthew chapter 24. And he says, these are things that you can at least look at that point to the fact that I'm getting ready to come back, that this thing is getting closer. You can look at that and begin to see those things. And anybody that, anybody that, that looks around today and doesn't see some of that beginning to happen is simply ignoring the warnings. And so, I gave you last week at the beginning, and I move now into this week with the BP squared, the big picture biblical principle that Jesus is trying, I believe, for us to get our minds around. I I put it in my own words, but this is what the text is saying. Here's the BP squared. Not knowing when is no excuse for not being ready now. That, That won't fly. Now, let's pick it up in the rest of Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 42. Therefore... You can, see, you can see he's kind of drawing a conclusion. What of all, everything I've just said to you, therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master's not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, uh, today as we work our way through the rest of Matthew chapter 24, I'm just continuing to ask that you would speak into each of our hearts and our minds. Uh, The amazing thing about you, Lord God, or certainly one of the amazing things about you, is that you can meet each one of us exactly where we are. There may be people in this room today or who will listen to the podcast who do not have a relationship with you yet. Maybe they've heard about Jesus all their life, but they've never really done much with it. Maybe they're hearing about 
this sort of thing for the very first time. Maybe someone's here who is basically a brand new believer in you. Maybe some of us are here and, and we've walked with you for many years. Wherever we are, there's always so much more to learn. There's always so much more to apply to our lives. And I thank you that your word has the power to do that. I am just amazed every day by your word. And so today, as we walk through the rest of Matthew chapter 24, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, that you would teach us what you would have us to know. And as I said last week, that it would not be an academic exercise, just learning something, but that it would be an application exercise. That's really where you're going from here on out, Lord Jesus, with the rest of the Olivet Discourse, is what does this mean for my life? How does this affect me now with this knowledge? Lord, help us to understand. Thanks so much. Really, I appreciate every person that's here. I'm very mindful that, that there are lots of other places people go, lots of other churches to attend, lots of other activities to be a part of, and they chose to get up this morning to get ready and to come into the house of the Lord. And so I'm grateful that you brought them here. I pray that you would use me in a way that it would not be a waste of their time and that you would be pleased by the worship that we offer up. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said just a moment ago, this is really, uh, this is it. I mean, after giving this last sign, pretty much the rest of what Jesus has to say here through chapter 24, he's going to give some more parables or, or stories but through the rest of chapter 24 and, and through the rest of chapter 25, it really comes down to, okay, now, now having heard that, having heard about my return, having given you some signs, now here's what this means for you. So that brings up this question. What, is, what does Jesus say the answer is? If we can't know when the end will come, but we're supposed to be ready when the end comes, what are we supposed to do? Well, the obvious answer is live ready. You and I have to live ready with the idea that since I can't know when, I better just go with it. I better just live in a state of readiness. Okay? Seems rather obvious. How do I live ready? Matter of fact, y'all are probably wondering that question, aren't you? Why don't you just go ahead and say that out loud? How do I live ready? Come on, ready? How do I live ready? So glad you asked. Let me tell you. First, Jesus says you need anticipation. Anticipation. Let's pick it up again in verse 42. Now watch this. Therefore, be on the alert. Therefore, as a result of all these signs I've just given you, therefore, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, because of that, be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you be ready too. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. In other words, when you're, when you're not expecting that He will. Be on the alert. It is a present tense imperative verb. 
it really carries the idea of continual alertness, constant vigilance, constantly being ready to live in a state of anticipation for what's going to happen, to be ready. If I'm going to live ready, I have to live with a sense of anticipation at what's going to happen. Be on the alert, Jesus says, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And then he gives this very simple analogy. If, if you knew your house was going to be broken into, and, and you knew when your house was going to be broken into, you'd be ready, wouldn't you? Yeah, buddy. I mean, if you knew, if you knew, oh, I, I know for sure it's going to be broken into. I know, I know when it's going to be broken into. I know the thief is coming. You would be ready. You would make sure the doors and windows would be locked. The alarm system would be on, which you would get if you didn't have one yet. The gun would be loaded, right? <laughs> Remind me not to ever come over to y'all's house late, <laughs> late at night. Um, you, you would live in a constant state of readiness, uh, anticipation. That's how you would live because you know it's coming. You too be on the alert for you don't know when it will be. You've got to live ready. And to live ready, you have to live in a state of anticipation. Um, Some of you in here know that uh, Ken and Karen Armstrong are big Carolina Hurricane fans. Big, huge Carolina Hurricane fans. I mean, they, you know, they do it all. I mean, they, they they got the garb. They know the lingo. I don't, I don't think they miss any home games. I, I've never seen Ken with his face all painted, but he probably does that too at some, some point, you know, all painted up. Now, I grew up in South Florida. Not a lot of ice hockey in South Florida when I was growing up. And I just, I honestly, I could just, I couldn't get into it. I mean, I, I didn't know what the blue line was. I didn't even know there was a blue line. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know what icing was. I still really don't know what it is. But I, don't, I don't know what, I didn't know what icing was. And when I was watching it on TV, at least back then, I, I couldn't even follow the puck. You know, they're skating back and forth, and I think they're chasing something, but I can't even see it. I sure couldn't pronounce the players' names. I, I, just, I just couldn't get into it. But last year, Ken and Karen took Cindy and me to our first ever hockey game. <laughs> and... Who said that? Somebody sounded Canadian when they said that, even. <laughs> so I guess you got to add, eh? Go Canes, eh? <laughs> Sorry. But, so anyway, it took us to our first, first hockey game. And it, was, it wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. It was incredibly exciting. Now, here's what I thought. Well, there's not a lot of scoring in this thing. So it, it can't be very exciting. Wrong. Wrong. It's actually the anticipation of the scoring that makes it so exciting. In hockey, it's like, no, there's not a lot of scoring, but it's like every second, it's almost going to be a score. It's like you're in, so it's this edge of your seat kind of watching this thing happen all the time. Anticipation. She says, you got to live ready. And if you want to live ready, you have to be on the alert. You have to live ready. You have to 
live in anticipation and you'll never lack motivation to just live in this state of anticipation. I came across this uh, quote in, in the 19th century. Uh, one of the greatest social reformers in England was a man named Lord Shaftesbury. And he spent basically his entire adult life working to improve the conditions for the poor and working to, to, to take missions to the ends of the earth, the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And at some point in his life, someone asked him, you know, how do you keep doing this? What is, what is the motivation to, to keep doing all of this stuff that, that you do? And here's what Lord Shaftesbury said. Listen to this. I do not think that in the last 40 years I have ever lived one conscious hour that was not influenced by the thought of our Lord's return. Wow. I was telling Dave this morning, when I, I think about how I can let days go by and not really consciously think about the return of Christ. And this guy doesn't even let one hour go by in 40 years that he doesn't think about, what, what if it was today? What if he came back today? What, what about this? Oh, I better be anticipating this. And listen, here's, here's why this is so important. Because if I live with anticipation, it's going to naturally lead to the next part of this idea of how to live ready. And that is action. I need anticipation, and I've got to be a person of action. Now, Jesus continues on in verse 45 and following. Who then, he asks a question, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household? Slave, servant, that was the system that existed in those days. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Who, who is it? Here's the answer. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Ladies and gentlemen, it has never been God's intention that you and I, those of us here who are followers of Jesus, it has never been God's intention that you and I would sit on our bum till Jesus comes. It has always been God's desire and design that we would be people of action. That we would be people who would take this responsibility that he's given to us, take this message that he's given us, and take it anywhere and everywhere that we can possibly take it. Because it's our responsibility. And we can't fail at this, ladies and gentlemen. We can't fail. That's why, listen, if you were here last week, that's why we took time to talk about missions. And that's why we'll do it every month. We'll take a mission moment to talk about missions. That's why, that's why we're sending a group of students and adults down to Peru. That's why we're planning mission trips all over the place. That's why we spend money on things like Family Fun Day. That's why we give you those iVite cards. That every one of you were given one today. And we ask you, just, just hand it to somebody. Just give it out to somebody. That's why we pray and give and go. Because it's on us. It's our responsibility. And Jesus says, for example, who's the sensible slave? Who's the one that gets it right? It's the one that, that I find so doing what I've called them to do when I come. Action. To be people of action. And I've got to do it. Otherwise, it may be too late. I, I had to uh, make a quick trip to Atlanta this week. Drove down to Atlanta uh, to be with my mom, who was uh, getting a result back from um, a biopsy that she had done. Appreciate you uh, guys praying for her. If you think about lifting her up. But on my way back, 
um, I was coming, it was a real quick trip down there, stayed overnight, came back on Friday, and I was in a hurry to get back, you know, want to come back and be with Cindy, I always miss her when I'm away, and, um, and so, you know, I was just going, and as I'm going, you know, the gas gauge is kind of getting low, and, and I, I know I need to stop for gas, you know, but I'm just like always kind of pushing it, you know, I, oh, I can go a little farther, I can wait a little longer. I don't have to stop yet. I, I, I can just, it, it'll, it'll make it. I think that light's going to come on and tell me at some point. But I, 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 I can do it. So um, I, I finally pulled off the interstate in uh, Mebbin. So I was almost home. That's why I didn't want to stop, you know. <laughs> Hadn't gassed up since two days before in South Carolina going down. So I came, went to Atlanta all the way back. Yay. But I fought, fought, pulled over. I, pulled, I got off the interstate in Mebbin at the sheets there. Pulled up to the stop sign of the red light. Traffic light. My wife always corrects me. Traffic light. And a car stalls out. Dies. All the way. I've come from Atlanta, for goodness sakes. And now it's going to die. You know, it's amazing how your prayer life will improve in a situation like that. You know? <laughs> Oh, Lord, please, please, in Jesus' name, look, let this car start. Cars are backing up behind me, you know, on the exit ramp, and the lights turn green. Starts up. <sighs> I turn, pull out, turn right, and then I pull over to the left-hand lane to turn. Stalls out again. Lord Jesus, please let this thing start. You know, the problem was, I, I just, I just, I was just busy. I just want, I had some place to go. I had, I had something to do, and I, I just didn't want it. I know I needed to do it, but I just didn't want to stop to do it. I, I think that's how most of us are with this, this action thing. We know, we know we're supposed to share our faith. I mean, goodness, is there, is there any place in here where the, the, the story of God doesn't include the fact that our purpose is to try and help others know about God's love? We know all this stuff, right? Man, we just, ah, we, we got somewhere to go. We're so busy. We got so much going on. We can't. We have to be people of action. We have to do this thing because he is coming back. In Acts chapter 1, we find this passage of Scripture. Uh, and they were gazing intently into the sky. That's the disciples. As Jesus, after the resurrection, he hangs out with them for 40 days. He goes back to heaven. They're gazing intently in the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. I love these angels. These guys are like cut to the chase. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Well, I I don't know. A guy just went up in there. That's kind of cool. This same Jesus who has been taken up from you in heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. You've got to read between the lines, but you understand what they're saying, don't you? What are you doing? Why are you standing here staring? He's coming back. Now, how about that? great commission thing he gave you don't you think you better get on with that it's to be people of action james tells us that we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says action people anticipation absolutely edge of your seat living looking which causes me to be a person of action which then brings up the third idea this morning, accountable. And this is the one that we want to glass over or hurry through, accountable. 
verse 48 to the end of the chapter, it says, but if that evil slave, notice he's contrasted, the good slave is the guy that does what, what his master tells him to do. When he comes back, he finds him doing that. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master's not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and will cut him in an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like I said, this is, this is the part that we don't really like to, to think a lot about. This is one of those passages where Jesus is talking that we just, whoa, 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 let's hurry up and get through that one. But we, we, can't, we can't pretend this is not in God's word. It is. We can't act as if it's not here. It is. Ladies and gentlemen, God is holding us accountable. God is holding us accountable for what we do with our lives. Period. No exceptions, no excuses. Accountable. You and me are accountable. Quite honestly, the person that Jesus describes there, that, that evil or that wicked slave, describes a lot of people in this world. In the sense that, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not accountable to anybody. This is my life. I can live my life the way I want to. I can, I can do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me any differently. I'm not accountable to anybody about this except myself. And what, what feels good to me or right for me, that's, that's my business. That honestly describes the mentality of a lot of people in the world today. But the pages of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation make it clear that there is a judgment coming. There's a day of reckoning, as the old preachers used to say. There's an accountability between me and God. That we have to answer for. I know we don't like to think of it. I know we don't like to, to promote that idea to people. It doesn't play politically well in the world in which we live. But God's word says it from cover to cover. Even if you think about even the world around us or throughout history. In various cultures. In various nations. In various periods of history. There has always been a belief that that the grave is not the end, and that there is a judgment yet to come. Even other religions hold to this idea of, of the grave is not the end, and, and there's a judgment yet someday that is coming. Now, in our culture here, particularly in the West, in, in Europe, and the United States, today, it's become uh, in vogue to discount that idea. And there are kind of two positions that are pretty popular with people that don't like to think about a judgment or accountability or anything like that. And they are universalism and annihilationism. Now, universalism is the belief that everybody will get into heaven. Salvation is universal. Kind of like health care. Everybody gets in on it. It's universalism. God is a God of love. God would never condemn any person to, to eternal hell. That's just not what God would do. So in the end, God's going to forgive everybody no matter how they lived or what they thought or where they, what, any of that stuff. Salvation is universal. Everybody gets in. That's popular. The other one is annihilationism. Annihilationism basically teaches that, that when you die, it's over. 
There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no eternity. There is no afterlife. You just live this life however you want to live it, as best you can. You live it, and when you die, you just go to sleep. It's over. You're annihilated. It's annihilationism. There is no more existence. Now, either one of those views, universalism or annihilationism, either one of those views is preferred in a culture that does not want to accept the idea of judgment or that we're accountable to anyone, especially to God, for our actions. And yet God's word is so full of it. And I I could have listed dozens and dozens and dozens, but beginning in Psalm 1, verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the, I'm sorry, what's that next word? Judgment. I didn't say it, I'm just reading it. It's what God said. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. When, when the righteous are gathered together, uh-uh. Psalm 9, verse 7 and 8. But the Lord abides forever, and he establishes his throne for, I'm sorry, what's that next word? All right, a few more of you said it that time. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Whoa. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Inasmuch as it appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. James chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Now, in its context, listen, don't, if you read that and you're a life group leader or you're thinking about becoming a life group leader and you've suddenly read that and said, whoo, no way. I'm not, I'm not teaching. I'm not teaching those children. I'm not going to teach those adults. I'm not going to do, look at that. In the context, most people believe that he's probably referring to to pastor teachers of a church that oversee the flock and teach them the truth of God's word. And I, I, I truly live every day with the recognition of the responsibility that I have to stand before you and say, thus saith the Lord, I better know what I'm talking about when I say it. But yeah, sure, there's an idea that, man, when you, when you say, now here's what God's word says, or here's what I, yeah, it's understanding that there's, that there's accountability for this. It should, by the way, it shouldn't, we shouldn't shy away from wanting to do that. But we do it soberly and recognizing, man, I, God's called me to do this. I can do this. Then one more, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of, one more time, judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Folks, I'll say it again. We are accountable. We really are. Are you ready? Now, I know I asked that last week. I've asked that several times in this series, and I'm pretty sure it's not the last time I'm going to ask it. Are you ready? If you're without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not ready. But are you ready to accept Him as your Lord and Savior? Are you ready to acknowledge your sinfulness and your need for Him? Are you ready to accept His atonement, His payment for your sins? And are you willing to surrender your life to Him to receive eternal life in exchange Are you ready for that? That can happen today, folks. Are you ready to stand before him someday? Every one of us will stand before him. The unbeliever stands accountable for his sins. The person who hasn't committed their life to Jesus Christ. They're accountable for their sins because they've not 
taken the only atonement available, Christ. They've not appropriated it to their own lives and their own sins. And so they're accountable. Those of us who have who've committed our lives to Jesus Christ and are following him, we're accountable for our lives and what we're doing with our lives and whether our lives are self-focused or kingdom-focused. There's that too busy stuff again. All right, I know, I've gone on. It's a lot. There's an old story about three demons that were talking with Satan one day. And the first demon said, I will tell people there is no God. And Satan said, you will not fool many with that, for they know that there is a God. The second demon said, I will tell people there is no hell. Satan said, not many will fall for that, for most people know that there is a hell. The third demon said, I will tell people there is no hurry. And Satan said, go, and you will ruin millions. Not knowing when is no excuse for not being ready now. Are you ready? Anticipation, action, accountable. Those are certainly three words to think about. As we just heard Pastor Clay say, and as Jesus taught us in the passage, there is a judgment day coming, and not knowing when it will be is no excuse for not being ready. If we live in a state of anticipation, we'll be looking for ways to serve our Lord and share His message. We can't just sit around and wait for Jesus to show up. We're called to be people of action before the Lord Jesus returns. What about you? Are you ready for His return? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.